Welcome, everyone, to Episode 7 of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I'm your co-host, Randy Cox, and sitting directly across from me is my wife, Kristen, who is coming out of a big keynote early, early, early this morning, working with students all afternoon. How are you doing? I am great, and I am tired, which is probably (laughs) true for many of our listeners. Yeah, it's been a great day, though. So today's topic is super interesting because it's, it's one of, if not the biggest evolutions, I guess you could say, in your thinking since you started exploring and then practicing and then teaching about this many, many years ago. And that is the concept of the primary customer and the derivatives that come from that. And, you know, I recall a time when this wasn't even part of your framework, but it now takes center stage in just about everything you do, speeches, workshops, the speech this morning. So I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about them. Sure. I think for many years, I assumed that we were designing systems or developing programs and operational solutions for the customer. And I and I think everyone believes that too. No one's like doing stuff because they don't care about the customer. The problem isn't is that we aren't explicit about it. And when we're not explicit about who we're specifically serving, not just some vague group of people that it's just, you know, ethereal concept, but a very specific group of people. And, and if we don't know exactly who we're trying to serve, we don't know this specific problem we're trying to solve. And when we don't know the specific problem we're trying to solve, we can't actually develop a good strategy or a good operational solution. It's like saying, you know, you, you can tell your kids, hey, we need to do more service, go serve the community. Well, that's great, but who in the community are you going to serve? Are you go to the homeless shelter? Are you going to do volunteer work at a senior center? What, what are you going to do? Until you know that, it's just theory. And too often I would see that we are solving problems for the bureaucracy. Organizations will do big data systems and all the seductive seven or administrative functions that people, I think, indirectly somehow down the road in some vague intellectual construct will somehow benefit the customer. But if you're not explicit about it, we're fooling ourselves. But there's also an opportunity cost though. So like if you're working on a project that's just self-serving, so to speak, making our work lives better, hoping that it will translate into making the customer's life better, but you don't know that for sure, you could be using that same those same time resources to to work on something that directly, you know, yeah. obviously does something yeah. for the customer. It 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 does, and context matters, right? Who you're designing for matters a great deal. So imagine a home builder not knowing the customer for whom they're building, right? They're just building for just any customer. Well, y- you got to know: are you building it for somebody who's retired and they want one type of home, or a young family, or a single individual, or people at different price points, people can afford multi-million dollar houses versus affordable housing. If you don't know your customer, you just can't design a viable solution. It's impossible. And we, in government especially, we just stay in these vague terms, taxpayers, citizens, you know, our customer. Well, who is your customer? We'll, we'll get into this more and more, but when you when you say, who's my primary customer? then we can actually start getting really clear on what their actual primary need is. Sometimes it's pretty obvious, sometimes it's not, but we never want to take it for granted because it is the anchor, it is the foundation from which we build anything and everything. And I've learned that if we're not explicit about it, 
it's very easy to drift off course. So the section header for that whenever you teach this in a workshop is to find your North Star. So that's like yeah, that's love, the visual. Uh, yeah. That's the metaphor. Well, and I love I love the concept. You know, back in the day when we didn't have GPSs and satellites to navigate, we all know that that the sailors and would use the stars to navigate. What's interesting about that is we know that the North Star just stays right above the North Pole and everything else kind of orbits around it. So it's, it, it's constant. It's a constant. And if you want to know where you are, you find the, the North Star and then you figure out what my bearing is or the angle or the, my, the degree I need to go from the North Star. I need to go 30 degrees to the east to get to my destination. So I already know. I always know my true bearing is what they call it in relation, in reference to a constant, which is the North Star. But there's another concept called relative bearing, which is I'm on a ship and I'm looking at the bow, the front of my ship, whatever that's pointing to is zero. Is zero. Yeah, Yeah, is zero. Thank you. Is zero. Instead of the true, the North Star, true North being zero. And then that's because, you know, back in the day, people didn't have time to hurry and orient themselves if a pirate you know if the captain saw pirates coming at you know 30 degrees everybody knew it was 30 degrees from the bow of the ship but that was in relationship to where they were and too often in our organizations i'll see this a lot of times in like tech initiatives we we talk about this a lot you know people are building these very complex tech solutions to make sure everyone's compliant, managing the paperwork and reducing data duplication for our employees and all that stuff. And that's, that's great. That's not a bad thing to do. But that isn't necessarily the core problem for the customer. And I've seldom seen a customer in government who's coming to apply for a business permit or social service program or air quality say, you know what, my primary problem is that the employees have got duplicate data entry and uh, you know redundant <laughs> paperwork that's that's never the customer's yeah, problem they don't even know yeah and so if we don't ground ourselves in that we drift so you're saying that the the north star which would be constant would be the primary customer yep so yep. you would make decisions relative to something that's a, you know yeah. fixed whereas if you were doing relative bearing which is whatever way the the boat happens to be facing at mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. then that would be like doing projects internally to make our work lives better. Yeah, it's in relationship to ourselves. And in everything we do, it's in relation to something. It should be. And we should always have it in reference to what is in the best for our customer. That doesn't mean we don't get a win for everyone else. We believe in win-win-win solutions. That context matters. You know, if the primary customer's problem is that it's, you know, takes way too long to get the information they need, then that may set up another series of challenges to overcome in, for the employees, and then we go solve those problems. But it's in reference to what's in the best interest for the customer. Gotcha. And if we do what's best for the customer really well and efficiently, there's we a do ca- what's right for the taxpayer as yeah, well. There's a cascading effect. A cascading effect. Yeah. That's what we call it. It's Sometimes we have this belief it's a kind of a zero-sum game. Like there's this limited pie and I have so many stakeholders and I have to optimize for all the stakeholders and they each get a piece of it. That's a scarcity mentality. What we believe is abundance, which is if I do what's right for the customer, I'm gonna have challenges in implementation that I've gotta solve. I'll have challenges that I've gotta solve for my employees. 
And and if I do all those things well, do the right thing for the customer, do it really efficiently, make sure employees have capacity to do it, which means costs go down. I do also what's right for the taxpayer because the taxpayer sees that their money is actually delivering a result for way less money. It's a cascading effect versus all stakeholders are equal and I got to make everybody get like equal win. You have no reference point. How, you, you have no way to direct your ship because you're trying to follow the compass of five to six different stakeholders. You're lost. Right. Each of which would have their own their relative own compass, bearing. Right? Their own relative bearing. So when, you, when you're teaching about this, you also talk about the idea of a strategic customer and the crucial role they play. So can you tell, a little bit of, tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Very, very often, and this comes back to our employees, you know, leaders or managers or policymakers aren't the ones directly delivering the service. There's an intermediary between the person making the policy or the pr- designing the program, et cetera, and the primary customer. So let's take healthcare. A lot of people are mucking around in the healthcare space. Insurance companies, hospital administrators, centers for Medicare, Medicaid services, policymakers, lots of people. But at the end of the day, the healthcare works if the doctor or those frontline medical professionals who are directly interacting and providing the diagnosis and the treatment to the patient, they're a strategic customer. Sometimes people will talk about a strategic resource or a key resource. I use the word customer by design because it denotes a different way to think about them. Our organizations, we don't, in management, we don't decouple management from the front line. So management just says, the organization shall do this. And it becomes this blurred amorphous entity. And when management decouples and says, wait, I'm not personally delivering the service. My front line delivers the service to the customer. So in relation to the customer, how do I make it a winnable game for the front line? So going back to the healthcare example, I don't think many doctors are raising their hands today to say the healthcare system is making it easier for them to deliver quality healthcare. I would think many of them would say it's getting more difficult, right? right? right. More paperwork, more bureaucracy, more red tape. If all the policies and all the procedures and the insurance and the overhead understood that the values created between the frontline and the doctor, knowing there's still challenges of how do you deal with costs and, you know, how do you know a, a, a great outcome for a doctor versus other doctors that may not perform so well. You know, those are challenges you've got to surface. But you would be a little more mindful, a little more sensitive about the overhead. If management understood our front line, maybe the strategic customer, all the training and the time and the paperwork we throw at them and we performance evaluate them, but we're never evaluated, just our frontliner, we may treat them differently about how we're thinking and structuring our solution. Or like, you know, like in an older adult, age, you know, or an aging type agency where we're looking mm-hmm. out for the needs and the, the safety of the older adults of our community. Mm-hmm. So the agency that's responsible for it from the, the state, the county, whatever, mm-hmm. they may not directly administer that service. They may wor- par- work with partner organizations. Yeah, providers. And those providers in that case are a strategic customer. How do I create a winnable game so the providers can do their jobs, do it well, you know, too often we have all the policy people coming down and, you know, taking tons of quality control and audits and yada, yada. And, you know, that stuff is important, but those are other operational challenges that, that have other solutions than just back-end quality assurance stuff. But, yeah, we would try to figure out what's a winnable game for the providers 
who are the ones delivering it. When we say strategic customer, it means we're not taking them for granted. They're key in this, and how do we make it a winnable game for them in relation, in reference to what the customer needs? And I guess I had never even, I'm, I'm, I'm just having a little insight myself here because I think I had never thought about the, the mental shift you make when you refer to someone as a strategic customer relative or instead of sometimes the, these partner organization to agencies can develop these antagonistic relationships but, with each yeah. other yeah. as if you're getting in the way or you're you know, or we have yeah. to give you more oversight or something and yeah and so when you see them that way as a strategic mm-hmm. customer to meet the needs of the primary customer it's a different paradigm that you enter into yeah we think we approach it with a little more care yeah that's good so even if we understood both of those, mm-hmm. even if we had, and, and we don't always have a strategic customer, we should probably clarify well, that. But yeah, you may not, but y- you know, if you have frontline staff, they're going to be your strategic gotcha. customer, okay. right? Okay. Unless you are the frontline staff, and then you know, you got to figure out how to gotcha. work with your customer. But e- even if we've identified the primary customer, the strategic customer, we're not done. No. Because we still have to understand what you call the primary needs. Yeah. So there's, whenever we fly in airplanes, you know, what do they say? Our primary concern is your safety, right? They've got to make sure that we are safe before they worry about snacks and how comfortable our seats are. And this has been really, you know, a challenge with Boeing. As soon as safety was jeopardized, right? We didn't care how comfortable the planes were. We wanted to know we would be safe. You know, when, when an emergency happens or some kind of crisis, we get really clear on what primary need is. But when life is just going along, it's easy to be casual about it. It's very easy to be casual. We'll see this, you know, we'll see governments and you know organizations doing like, oh, we gotta have really cool customer experience and user experience on our website. In the meantime, it still takes like months and months and months for somebody to get their business permit and it's incredibly expensive and confusing. I'm like, okay, deliver on that first need. Can you? provide a business permit that's simple, not a lot of bureaucratic overhead, still meets the needs for public responsibility, et cetera, for a good cost and you can do it quickly. Can you do that first, which is harder, right? You gotta get into the guts of the operations before we worry about like the website. Now I'm not saying you have to do one or the other, you can do both, but don't muck around with the secondary need if you can't deliver the first one. But you, you have that, that touches on a really, you have a, a leapfrog principle, which is what you're talking about, where mm-hmm. we tend to jump to like what's, what is easier of the two, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily what's the primary thing we're there to do. Yeah, it's easy to leapfrog over the primary need and jump to secondary needs. You know, child welfare, we first got to make sure the kids are free from abuse and neglect and do that really uh, accurately and super quickly. So if the family isn't abusing or neglecting the kid, we're out of their business. If the kid is being abused and neglect, we're quickly finding interventions and services to protect the kid. That is priority number one. And then wellness, which is another aspect of the system, you know, going to school, education, those are important, but you can't do those if the kid first isn't free from abuse and neglect. So primary needs matter a great deal and don't take it for granted that you know what they are sometimes we do sometimes when we in government impose or require something like business permits or zoning or even taxes for example we should make it as simple and as easy and as quick as possible because we're imposing it 
when, and that's sometimes more clear cut, when we have customers coming to us for help or support, don't assume you understand their primary need. Don't assume it. And I, the example I often use is, you know, as I was going blind, I'm grateful to live in a country where I had such a great safety net. You know, the federal government was at the time making lots of changes, reorganizing and strategic planning, and I'm sure more data systems, and they had new legislation and policies and more code coming out and just all the seductive seven, right? All the seductive seven going on. But as a blind person, was that really my primary need? Was my problem really is like, oh my gosh, the re federal government needs to reorganize into a one-stop center. That's my primary need. Now, doesn't mean that that's a, not a friction point that over time we could deal with if that was really even a secondary need. What was my primary need? It wasn't that. So we, we can so easily jump into our own bureaucratic mindset of what's important and not ground in this. And the anecdote to the seductive seven is this. Anchor in primary customer and primary need. Anchor in that, stay focused on that, true, you know, true north, and you're going to be much less likely to drift into the seductive seven. So what's coming up for me, and then we can move on, but what's coming up for me is, is almost like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, we, you know, we're, we're in the United States right now. We've just had the Florida region and the eastern seaboard has been hit by this hurricane and yeah. it just devastated areas yeah. of the country. Yeah. And so... You may have been sitting there planning a, a trip or a vacation or something as your family, and then all of a sudden a hurricane comes in, and priorities, you know, immediately become clear. Shift, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's not like all of our primary customers have that level of challenge, but it becomes really clear in those situations what we often take for granted in in these environments. And yeah. that, you know, some of our customers' primary needs aren't so extreme, right? Business permitting, but it still makes the point. It's just an example of how we can we actually can ha carry around with us multiple priorities, but that we know that there intuitively we know there are some that are like our core needs, mm -hmm. right? And then there's others that are more mm -hmm. superfluous. Well, this so. is what the, the the kind of the beef I have with the term innovation that we throw around so casually, and I'm not even opposed to innovation, and we can have a podcast explicitly just on innovation and what it really means and what it isn't. But I always say you got to earn your way to innovation. Like if you can't deliver, you know, we can just keep using business permitting, for example, I don't know why, but if you can't do a, a business permit, you know, think of a small business that has to navigate all of these different government entities, you know, tax ID and all the business permitting and all that stuff. If we can't deliver that well, you know, just super, super well, and then people want to do like cool, innovative technology and cool AI stuff right. and all this predictive <laughs> analytics. I'm like, it's like, but your agency was meant to do that permit. Yeah. Do the permit. So do like the do permit. that. Now, if yeah. you can innovate your way out of it, even not having to do a business permit and some other way to accomplish that purpose. Great. But shy of that, if you're, you know, not eliminating the whole need for a business permit, do that first. You earn your way to innovation and people want to leapfrog over the hard nitty gritty work into cool, innovative, you know, all this other cool, innovative yeah. stuff. Like we see this in higher education, innovation in higher education. How about we just figure out in higher education how to make it affordable, right? Like truly affordable, not by having to subsidize it with student loans and help more people graduate. Let's just, let's just do the basics on this first. And yeah, then I've we can you, talk about innovation. 
All right. So let's just say if you if you were to charge forward into you know building out a strategic plan or designing a new piece of software without this framing, without this backdrop, you're you're not clear on primary customer, strategic customer, primary need. If you if you move forward without that, what what happens? Uh, chaos, because there's no there's no boundaries, right? So, so innovation happens and results happen and innovation and operations let's put it that way the breakthrough happens not because there's an absence of boundaries but because there are boundaries if we had limited time i mean unlimited time unlimited money could do whatever we wanted there would be no need to to do any of the work we're doing right but we have limited time limited money and so within that we have to have context and we have to be really clear for whom are we solving the problem that matters you're doing these changes because you want to improve something well who are you improving it for imagine not knowing that and maybe indirectly in some tangential way down the road if we do this do data system potentially we could answer questions that we can't answer today that is so tangential and so indirect that just don't start there. If we cannot answer for whom are we solving the problem and what is their problem, there is no context. There are no boundaries. So anything goes. And then what happens, you get bloated bureaucracy because anything goes. Anything goes. Any policy is okay. Any amount of change is okay. Any amount of technology is okay. It's so all there's, okay. There's no filter. Because there's no filter. Innovation happens. There's a great quote I use all the time, G.K. Chesterton, and he said, the essence of any art is the frame. You have to frame your problem. And the frame, the person, the subject of your frame that you want to put right in the middle of your picture is your customer. And I think that dovetails with another concept called the power of one, which we, we probably should do our, a separate episode just on that. Yeah. Where you, you, I think what you're saying is that we think we're doing these projects for the public, right? Or some generic group, but we're not getting specific yeah. enough. We're not either get, we're either not getting specific enough or we are specific. It's like, let's say, you know, kids in, in, who are in the child welfare system, for example, what we may not be getting is either we're not clear enough on the primary customer or we are not clear enough on the primary need. And I think that's another episode. We'll get into how do we tease out what their need really is versus what we may perceive it to be. If we're not clear on those two issues, we're, we're lost. Gotcha. Well, I think that is a good place to end here. There's another concept that I think I know we will do a, a separate podcast on and that's called nice and so maybe just do a 10 second overview of that yeah, and, then we'll, and really power of one and nice or just the, the different ways yep the different lenses you can use to think about your customer's problem again we take it for granted we we think we know what it is and sometimes it's obvious but you know the the, the real question i have sometimes is especially in uh, areas where we're, it's not like required to run a business we're forcing you to do business permit but in areas where it's a little bit more nebulous, the, sometimes I'm, well, not sometimes, I'm asking the question, if I want somebody who's blind to get a job, I could easily just say, goal, entered and retained employment, which we do all the time, and then we just try to get people employed. The question is, as a blind person, why can't I already do that? 
right? What's blocking me? What's preventing me? Dr. Goldratt's definition of value is that value is created when we remove a significant limitation. This is a very different mindset. We are not about adding or just stating what we want to happen. What we're asking ourselves is, if people want a better life or want to make progress as a business or whatever they want to do, and they can't already do it or are not already doing it, what's blocking them? What's preventing them? Yeah. It's a deeper question to ask as compared to what we want them to do. It's such an amazing question and an amazing idea. And that's the one you see people pulling out their phones and taking a picture of the slides on that because you can just tell it makes people like go, oh, wow. That's a whole yeah. different way of thinking. Yeah. But. As a blind person, the reorganization of the federal government, the one stop, the policies, the data systems, that is not what was making it difficult for me to become employed. And we can get into that in a different podcast. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you are not already, I encourage you to follow Chris on LinkedIn, where she posts thought-provoking insights three times a week. You can pick up both her and Dr. Ashley's books on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle versions. If you found something of value today or in a, one of our prior episodes, please like and share this with a coworker. And uh, we are going to conclude the podcast here. We're going to try something new. Chris and I are going to keep recording, and we're going to go just a little bit, a few more minutes, uh, and talk about how we would actually apply this in the real world. And we're going to put that piece of that little recording. It's going to be over in the Fulcrum, which is our private online training community. It's also the repository of Chris's long-form content. So if you'd like to get that that content, go ahead to jointhefulcrum.com, and you can request to join. It's free to join, and uh, we'd love to have you. So with that, any final words, Chris? Make it simple, and simplicity starts with who is your customer. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. Stop decorating the fish, and we will talk to you here in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.